Welcome to Rock Content's Jam Session podcast series. In each episode, we sit down and talk with industry experts who share proven marketing strategies, best practices for content, tactical advice, and tales of SaaS and entrepreneurship, and so much more. Enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Jam Session. Vitor Pesan here. I'm co-founder and CMO at Rock Content, and I am your host today. Just to remind you, our Jam Sessions are a mix of presentation, interviews, and webinars with marketing and SaaS leaders and thought leaders, all powered by Rock Content. Today, we have a very special guest, someone who's really aligned with our mission of creating great content, not only for customers, but for the market. It's Byron White, founder of Writer Access and Content Marketing Conference also now part of the Rock Content family. Welcome, Byron. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, where did your passion from content marketing come from? Yeah, wow. Um, so I've been, uh, you know, on the, on the front lines of the content marketing revolution for quite some time now, both as a, as a founder and an author of a couple of books and as someone that's, that's been forging forward to try to end the world of all this bad, boring content and try to help our customers and help us all, you know, create great content. Awesome. So Reddit Access is all about providing great content in a scalable way for companies. And about this topic, that's what we're going to cover today. And you asked us to cover the 10 hacks or secrets, right, to scalable content creation. Shall we dive in? Let's do it. I like your first one, your first, I'm going to call it secret. I, li I like secret better. <laughs> your first secret. I like its name. It's called Ideas, Maps, and Plans. Perfect. That's secret number, number one. Can you explain it to the audience? Number one of 10, they're all pretty good, but I'll let the audience be the judge. So <laughs> this one sort of, you know, starts with a broad topographical 20,000 foot view. And, you know, let's face it, you know, you need a plan if you're going to be successful when it comes to content marketing, right? You know, creating those engaging topic ideas for content, you know, they certainly don't fall from the sky. So how do we find those great, you know, topics that we want to write about? That's really the hard part. So I believe that you need to research, you know, what, what's happening in each topic area you're thinking about writing about, and you need to come up with a content map that sort of outlines the strategy and the tactics that you're going to use to research and develop these topic ideas. And really, you have sort of, you know, let's take smaller budgets uh, and larger budgets. With smaller budgets, you're going to be required to select, be much more selective on the number of topics you create and the bets, if you will, that you're placing that your topic will connect and convert browsers into buyers. But with larger budgets, you have more room to experiment and you can come up with not only more topics, but more subtopics and more keywords to optimize for and wider social reach with more resources to distribute that content. But in the end of the day, no matter whether you have a large or a small budget, it all starts with the ideas. You need to research the topics and the subtopics you're trying to go together, roll it together in a map and a plan. And from that map and plan, I think you can find some inspiration and a process that you can count on from that initial planning stage. Got it. And you're talking about that. That's important. I think it's interesting. You mentioned like the smaller companies with smaller bets, they smaller budgets. They have to be very like precise with their bets, right? Is that is there like a secret to say, hey, how do I choose the best topics or the best strategy because I cannot waste any money? I think so. Um, I mean, when when you don't have the budget, you can't select keywords that are impossible to go after, right? that okay. you'll never get a top listing for. Yet you need to select, you need to find questions that are longer tail that you can answer freakishly well, right? And 
I think with smaller budgets, you need to choose topics that are not quite as popular and you need to completely cover them comprehensively. So you're bettering your chances for success with great quality content, covering a super niche topic area, covering all subtopics related to that topic. So, you know, that's that's really the way you need to look at it, I think. Awesome. Thank you. Sure. So secret number two, onboard content creators. What is that all about? So, you know, there are several ways to onboard a content creator. And here, I'll, let's refer to writers. Let's rule out mind reading because that's a lost art and science that we can't count on. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I know that that can be important for some of you out there that you just feel like you're going to, but you know, it's a lost art and science. So instead, we really need to articulate the goals and the specifications and the requirements for projects. And we need to make sure that there are instructions that are crystal clear with examples of greatness. Like that's the key thing. But you also need to, a process, like a clear methodical process that puts this all together. And you might even consider doing a video recording that would explain to your freelance writers or your team members what you're looking for, how you want them to approach a topic that they're taking on, what expectations you have, examples of greatness, examples of this is a bad exam, you know, content that was created and here's why. So you might even go further to sort of gamify the process, maybe even add some incentives in for performance to really get everyone thinking about that content creation, creative process in the right way. Awesome. And once again, uh, documentation is essential, right? Indeed. I think the process is equally as important as the ideas itself. But, you know, these content creators, they need directions. They can't read your mind, you know, particularly in a marketplace like Writer Access. That's the enemy is just assuming that you could write these instructions and everything will be great. You know, feedback becomes an important part of the loop. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Got it. And is it similar when you're talking about in-house or versus outsource content? I think so. Process. I yes. believe so. And I also think with, with some writers, you need, actually need to repeat that process. They might get in-house writers. They might get a little bit lazy. They might lose the thirst to produce greatness. The other thing that happens is your brand may change. You may rebrand. You may require new tone and new style. More importantly, you know, once you start creating content, say with an in-house team, you might learn what's working with this, the, the more that you publish. You need to reverse engineer what's working and retrain your writer in your writers, your in-house writers to step and repeat whatever worked and look for signals of what's working, what's not working, which once again requires an onboarding process for your creative team. And it's not with just with writers, I might add, it's with designers and illustrators and animators, you know, How's the tone and style coming together? How can we constantly be looking at it and onboarding everybody to the changes that we think need to be made? So it's onboarding and should we say like recycling sometimes, right? I think so. Whenever it's, there's a change, you just go over yeah. and retrain everyone. Exactly. It's definitely training, training everyone on the process, but spot on. Yep. Awesome. So secret number three is that we should test writing styles before we hire a writer. How do we do that and why? You know, this goes way back to like 2002, like a long time ago. Well, all right, how about 2012? Let's go back just a decade. <laughs> but it did go back as early as 2002 when we first started a, a company called Life Tips, which was way, way back 20 years ago. But we would bring in new freelancers, um, both at Writer Access and at Life Tips, and we needed to test them. We needed to find out, you know, who has a similar, uh, who has the right tone and style. And, you know, gone are the days that you can go through an interview process for a freelancer or a full-time writer, you know, and use that as a guide, you know, to whether, whether you hire them. Instead, 
there are unique opportunities, particularly in a marketplace, to send to test writers, to send the same order to like three different writers and maybe a small order, 500 words or less, you know, blog post, something simple, and let each of them come back with their interpretation, with their creative solution uh, and content for you to review. Now, critical to the process of testing these writers in the format that I just described is giving them all feedback. Like that's critical. What you're testing here is their ability to style flex, to change their original content and transform it into something better based upon your feedback. That's the true test of a writer's ability to create the content that you're looking for. The ability for them to flex their tone, their style, even their approach to a, a project and that's the true judge. So, you know, I call that style flexing. I've, I've done a webinar on style flexing like eons ago, and I still believe it's, it's, it's a great phrase that helps people understand that, yeah, you know, there's actually a style that is flexible out there. One writer doesn't have one monotone style that is the way that they write. No, they actually flex their style to align with your brand's tone and style. Got it. Would you say that being flexible, it's a very important characteristic of a good writer? Not only important, probably the most important for particularly for freelancers that are working with a variety of customers. If you're a single writer working for a single brand, you might have to flex your style for different audiences. For example, Facebook, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, three very different audiences there. Once again, style flexing becomes the centerpiece of that art for a content creator. And that's a whole other subject, by the way, with, you know, do we call writers content creators? You know, some writers are actually offended by that. They actually like calling themselves writers. You know, they're, they're not content creators. Really? What's a content creator, right? So I think that we're actually all content creators, whether you're a particular illustrator, animator, writer, copywriter, Journal journalist. I mean, no, we, we're creating content. Why not call ourselves the broad topic? Anyway, that's my. <laughs> but I'll, I'll have some enemies out there for sure with, with calling but, it content creators. But why would they be offended? It's like I like to, I like my title to be very specific. Yes, not yeah. generic. <laughs> yeah, you know, like if you're a copywriter, like that's a very zoned-in writing style. Like that's you know writing copy to transform browsers into believers and believers into buyers. Right, like that's your job. It's called copyright. If you call yourself a content creator, that's not so much that job description, right? So <laughs> perhaps why that's they're offended, but you know, I'm just trying to make everyone happy, and we all know that's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> the huge challenge, yeah. Indeed. Okay, so let's go forward. Right Number four, yes. So you have to explain us, and I, I, I love that the three guides content creators need for success. I believe that you need very structured guides to achieve the goals that you have for a project, right? Turns out that you need a customer journey map to help a content creator understand the needs of a different target audience at different stages of the journey. More specifically, you need to define what is the target audience thinking and feeling at different stages of the journey, right? And trust me, It's going to be very different at the discovery stage, which is where they're learning about your products and services versus post-sale, right? People don't want to hear the same information. That style needs to be very different. There are assumptions you need to take into consideration. So a customer journey map is critical not only to map out, but to explain to a writer, you know, da-da, we want, here's your target audience. We're going after the discovery phase. So therefore, you should be more informational and educational about 
the 20,000 foot view of our industry because they're just learning about us for the first time. So that helps a writer. So that's the first guide that I think you need. The second guide is buyer personas. Buyer personas, as we all know, you know, define what a buyer is thinking when they made the decision to buy. So here they're looking for what were the triggers? What was your, why were we better than the competition? What was the motivator for you? You know, we need that information if we're a writer creating content because we know what the trigger words might be, what points to bring up at various points, what the call to action and conversion might look like, right? So that becomes important. The third guide that I think you need is just simply a creative brief, which defines the overall scope of a project and the key elements that need to be defined. Over in Writer Access, we, we build these things into our tools portal so people can actually create these customer journey maps, buyer personas, creative briefs, and attach them to their orders. They can even get more specific to say, oh, with a customer journey map, I will point the writer to this journey stage. They only have to read that journey stage to get a feel for the target audience. They don't have to read the whole thing. So they can get very specific. The other thing we've done to make sure writers are reading these things, because remember, this is more content <laughs> we're throwing at the writer, right? Read the project description, read a journey map, read a person, you know, read the greater brief. Well, like, wait a second, if it's a 500 word blog post and you're testing them out, I probably wouldn't include these three guides for like a 500 word blog post on a test. Like, let's not go too crazy. But as you get to know your talent more, these things are really helpful. And we're able to like bake in things like we make it a rule set that the writer has to actually check it off saying, yes, I have read the buyer persona, check, you know, and it confirms that they, they understand what the audience wants for. Now you want more, you might have to pay a writer more for that because it's more work for them. You get the general idea. So in the end, there's a pattern in the secrets and this hacks. It's good communication, proper documentation, right? Definitely. And I agree with you. I mean, if you don't communicate what you want properly, I mean, how do you expect the writer to know what you're thinking about? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I would say that. Okay. Secret number five, and I love the name of this one. It's <laughs> Snap, Crackle, and Pop. All right. So for those of us that are uh, old like me, that grew up in the United States, you might remember a Rice Krispies commercial, right? Oh. You can look it up and it's a really cool commercial that said, you know, your cereal should have snap, crackle, and pop, you know, so it's, it's very famous. So when I was thinking about, you know, writing great copy, copy that converts, that transforms browsers into buyers, I sort of aligned myself with this concept. So your content for it to be great and for it to scale and for you to be successful needs to have what I call snap crackling. You know, content snaps when your headlines leap off the page and lure people in so they must see what you're talking about, right? Content crackles when it touches your heart or makes you laugh or connects with you in an unusual way. So that becomes important for the barometer, for the goals for your content. Well, content pops when it actually converts, when it inspires somebody to take action. So you want to be sure there are elements of snap, crackle, and pop in an asset that you determine to be important. And it doesn't always have to pop, doesn't necessarily always have to be, you know, buying you know, it might instead be a return visitor coming back for more. They love the content. They love how it was written. It had an edge to it. It made them laugh or it touched their heart. It was a great story well told. The headline lured them in. They wanted to read it because they're familiar with reading other works from this particular author. 
So, you know, that's what I would suggest is it was what Snap, Crackle, and Pop is all about. I did a webinar about that long ago. It was really popular, mostly among writers. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the customers were like, huh? You know, Snap, Crackle, and Pop? Okay, whatever, Byron. <laughs> but it's easy to remember, right? Yeah, exactly. It's very easy to remember. Yeah. Uh, okay, let me ask you a question that I get this a lot of times about crackling, the crackle part, right? Yeah. And I agree. You said like you touch the heart or tickle your fans with humor. I mean, you got to connect emotional with the reader. But when you talk about SEO, yeah. it's a very technical writing. It's a yeah. very, like it's database. You do keyword research. You want to rank for specific keywords. Yes. Uh, is there any conflict there or do you just combining the two? What's your, your cool thing? story? You know, in a nutshell, uh, story first, optimization second. You know, I mean, unless the story is compelling, no one's going to read it. It doesn't matter how well it's optimized. And by the way, unless you have good time on page and people are actually reading your content, Google will not reward you with top listings. And there are very secret ways, by the way, that Google doesn't disclose to the world where they learn your abandonment of a web page. One would think that Google would learn from Google Analytics, you know, whether customers are bouncing off your page, right? Because Google has that information. Turns out Google is not allowed to make algorithmic adjustments in the search engines based upon the knowledge they have from Google Analytics. But what they can secretly do is to look at your time. They can look at you searching for something on Google. They can see you go to a page and they can see you come back and they can see what page you went to. So they can see the abandonment rates, which is the trigger they can use just from their actually search functionality. Does that make sense? So, yes. you know, so yeah, story first, right? You know, optimization second, bottom line. Awesome. Great. And then we go to secret number six is manage creatives creatively. <laughs> yes, <laughs> indeed. As some of you may have recognized, creative people like me, which are, you know, hard to control, hard to, to tie down. We need to be managed creatively, right? So you need to get your team on the same page and really consider deploying sort of a management methodology with each team member. And I believe the way to do that is a really kind of a, a structured yet loose way to do that. And, you know, the way to do that is to set expectations, right? Then inspect the work, then offer feedback wisely, not too negatively, by the way, wisely is the key word there. And then reward performance, not necessarily with money, believe it or not, but with just acknowledgement of their greatness, recognition of their greatness. So it's a little, you know, it's kind of a four-step process, but to me, that's the best way that over the years that I've learned to manage creative people is to really, you know, spend a lot of time up from setting the expectations, the goals, like what's going to come out of this, then to inspect the work, you know, along the way and, you know, not let them think that they could just wander off into the wild world and inspecting the work is key. So those are the four components that I think uh, make content marketing scalable. Yeah. Someone said like, it's like trust, but verify. Right? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same quote. I forgot to say that. The trust is, you know, throwing the lure out, you know, but you got to reel it in every once in a while and see if you caught anything. Right. And then if you <laughs> did, you got to recognize it. But I love the quote from Leonardo da Vinci, which is simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Right. So taking that sophisticated approach with creative people is really, really important because they, they need that sophistication with their work and what they're doing. But you need to make it simple. You know, that's the key uh -huh. to life in general, maybe. Yeah. And I think there's a challenge in balancing the need for, for example, documentation, a lot of some process and this freedom, right? Nice. And 
as like a content manager or a marketing leader, you have to find that balance and say, hey, you have freedom, but within these boundaries. Yeah. Right. So then it's a challenge to do so. But yeah. You cannot go all creativity, all fun and games, you know, but you cannot go all processes and zero creativity, right? Exactly. Okay. So an- an- another hack slash secret. Yeah, another one with a fun name. You're good with the names, man. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's feedback makes the merry-go-round. Yes. So, you know, we tend to think of feedback as criticism, right? Negativeness, right? And, you know, we all tend to go through our lives and avoid want to avoid confrontation, right? The negative part of the world, right? Well, it turns out that creative people actually like and want to be aligned with your goals and can't read your mind. And oh my gosh, they actually want feedback, right? So what I encourage customers to do at Writer Access, you know, is to take the time to offer feedback. And don't, if you can, you know, muster up the courage, don't just approve content that's not acceptable to you and then bring it over to your desktop and rewrite it. You know, that's a waste of your time. As the expression goes, I can teach you to fish and give you the recipe, but that doesn't really work. You know, I'd rather, oh, I'm sorry. The expression was, I can catch a fish. I can catch a fish and cook a meal for you, or I can teach you to fish and give you the recipe, right? That's what we need to think about. It's critical that we teach people what we want and to offer feedback to them, both positive and negative. And that's what makes the whole creative process go around, in my opinion, or the expression merry-go-round. That's my thought on that. Yeah, there's like a whole science around like giving feedbacks. Yeah. Actually, we do, we do have internal trainings about giving feedbacks here at Rock. Interesting. Because it's just what you said, right? You got to do it in a way that the person doesn't feel attacked. But at the same time, the person must acknowledge that if you're like spending your time giving your feedbacks because you care, got to be specific, etc. It's feedback. It's an art and it's a hard one. <laughs> it is. One of the components to that feedback um, is recognition. And the New York Times did a really interesting study about this. And it turns out, as I mentioned earlier, that people really want recognition of, of their accomplishments, which can be part of the feedback loop. And that that's quite interesting. They, they appreciate recognition more than monetary reward, which is really interesting. There's this technique, I don't know if I, I agree with that, but it's a common one, it's called like the sandwich. Huh. When you say like, you do, you say something positive, then you do something negative, and then you do something positive again. <laughs> I don't know how, how much that's that? based on, I've read that so many times. Huh. Uh, last, last, last time I read that was on a book called the, the culture map huh. about different cultures around the world. And he says, hey, Amer- Americans love the that sandwich part. Interesting. Well, Americans love sandwiches in general, right? What are your favorite sandwiches? What's your, what's oh. your favorite sandwich? They're like literal sandwich? Well, any kind of sandwich. Let's define a sandwich with bread and something in the middle. Bread and something in the middle. Have you ever been to Cass Delicatessen in New York? No. It's really good. It's basically roast beef. And like this pile of roast beef and, and pickles, <laughs> and it's really, really good. That's awesome. <laughs> things from De- from Delhi's, right? <laughs> That's cool. What about yours? Since you asked me, you're asking. Um, without a question, um, 
lobster roll. Lobster roll. Okay. More specifically, Maine lobster roll, right? Uh, <laughs> we have to go to Maine to get one? Well, I think so. I mean, we, we can, you know, that's a story for another day, but you can ship uh, Maine lobster, I think, anywhere, maybe in the world. I don't know about Brazil, but Maine lobster are very special. Cold, deep water lobster, very hard, you know, uh, flesh and tails and claws. And uh, <laughs> they're just beautiful species uh, that are fabulous. So just a little light mayonnaise, a gently butter and grilled roll. The larger, the better I might add. Probably not as large as your roast beef sandwich, but anyway, a little bit off topic, but good humor, good fun. Yeah, but we can tell that you love it because it started describing it like, <laughs> and then we're probably like salivating or whatever. <laughs> I know. Yes. Okay, so for the next, for the next secret is mm -hmm. that marketing is a team sport. Mm -hmm. Another whole topic here that was a really fun webinar topic we've done several times. And I really do believe that content marketing in general is a team sport. But if you think about it that way, it sort of starts to help a business really say, okay, you know, what is my budget, you know, that I have for content marketing? Therefore, what team size do I really need? So I equate that to, do I need Am I playing tennis? You know, it's maybe myself, maybe I'm playing doubles and I have one comrade. That would tend to define the type of team structure. Those are the only one or two people you can afford. If that's it, then you probably need a content manager, you know, as your, as your lead that can work with freelancers to crank out this content and scale it up. But maybe you need more of a five-person team that you might have a content manager, you might have an illustrator, an animator, a social media manager, maybe a copywriter to help boost the conversion. That would be more of your five-person team. You know, maybe you're a slightly larger company. You've got more budget. You've got a half a million dollar budget, maybe even a million dollar budget, and five people may be right. But if you're really going all in with both marketing and content marketing, it's more like a, a, a football team. Uh, and I'll use the word liberally, meaning soccer in, in your <laughs> technology uh, or U.S. Uh, terms. But bottom line is you need more people. And that might mean uh, you might have multiple products that you're trying to promote, multiple disciplines, multiple product pages, pages on your website, or volume you need to produce, more social channels you need to cover. So, you know, if you just... Think about it and then look at the performance that your management team is asking you to deliver. Like, do you want to quadruple your traffic? Okay, we might need a larger team here. You know, I think we need more of a budget of $500,000, you know, uh, maybe $100,000 per employee is a pretty good barometer in my experience, you know, to, to look at the expectations of performance that would align with actually getting the job done. It's pretty good barometer to say, you know, I'm going to spend a couple hundred thousand dollars on content. You need at least two people. Going to spend a hundred thousand, maybe just one person, but spend a million, expect much more grand goals. Good to go. And I would expand on that mm. because I believe that content marketing is not campaigns, right? It's your online presence is what you do every day and yeah. represents the company. So for me, it also goes beyond the marketing team, right? So if you have a executive leadership, they should, they should be helping you with like thought leadership content. Yeah. And yeah. if you have a sales team, they, they should be giving you ideas for good content based on conversations they are having. The same goes for support team. You know, you should involve like more departments around the company because I think that it makes the content richer and the online presence even better.
Right. Well, one million percent agree with you on that. And a quick story on that from our good friend Brian Halligan at HubSpot, now semi-retired, but certainly very active with with HubSpot. Three or four years ago, you know, uh, pre-public, as I recall, one of their reps, one actually a former rep that used to work for us, uh, you know, was calling on us, and Brian uh, had gotten word, you know, that you know I, I'm connected with Brian on LinkedIn. So sure enough, Brian reaches out on LinkedIn because he's connected with a prospect, you know customer and boom, he was on it. So I think that you're absolutely right. The team is it extends well beyond the marketing team. Really good point you're you're raising there. Hats off. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. So for secret number nine, and that one has like a poetic name. It's like <laughs> from me to you. Okay, see that from me to you. You can see that hanging on someone's wall, right? It's like, yeah. it's like from me to you. <laughs> Almost corny. My apologies for that. Exactly. No, but once again, sticky. So, you know, I think here, even when you're scaling content, you know, you really need to have the people behind uh, the, the person, the individual person behind every post, behind every tweet. It's very hard to, to have a for a brand to have personality. Now, I think there are some brands that have personality, like Red Bull, for example. You know, a lot of personality in that brand. You know, X Games come to mind, Change the World, Extreme Sports. You know, that's where you can publish potentially with a brand with a really strong brand name. But if your brand isn't, you know, Red Bull, like most of us, it's more important that the people are really listed on the blog post. Now, at Writer Access, we actually do that in a creative way. We're kind of lucky that we can do it this way, but when we post on our blog, we actually, you know, use the name of the freelance writer that we use that is, guess what, uh, attribute attribution back to that individual person. And guess what? We link to their profile page on Writer Access. So if uh, 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 one of our readers is interested in, uh, in, you know, likes and appreciates the tone and style and the research they put in with that post, they could potentially hire them. So we have a lot of, of customers that do that as well. They'll, they'll lock into one writer that they're working with and they'll be like, hey, you know, I really want this writer's name to be listed on our blog. So we'll agree to that. Um, they'll, they'll set up a profile on their actual WordPress blog. It'll list the first name and the last initial of that writer, and it'll link over to their writer access profile. And we have some indirect evidence that suggests that Google might actually reward that as a, uh, you know, actual author is creating this content rather than an unknown author. So food for thought, something everybody to think about. But the from me to you is like, let's publish content with a name of somebody at your organization that put a stamp on it. Now, by the way, ghostwriting is perfectly acceptable in this industry. Many, many mm -hmm. thought writers, I would, you'd be shocked to learn thought leaders that use writer access um, as a resource to, you know, submit their outlines and their rough drafts for, and, you know, our writers or editors come in and polish it up and make it great. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, but make that person accountable for what they're writing. Be sure they're reading over something that's published if their name is going to be on it um, and that they're dialed in and tuned in. And they're, of course, practicing best practices of reaching out to people that comment and actually engaging uh, you know, supporting the engagement of that content with their audience. And that also helps with the relationship with the writer because it's recognition, right? Say, hey, yeah. that's my work out there. That's right. And it's it's signed by me, right? I mean, exactly. That's very, right. that's very important for creative people. Exactly right. Now, don't get me started on talking about NFTs and how that could fit in with... Oh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah. I don't agree on that one. Yeah. But... There is, there is an opportunity in the future for, you know, as Mark Cuban says, for books to records to music to everything to be to be on the blockchain, right? And yep. to 
have an author, you know, uh, much like uh, all of the products that you use in your house can be on a blockchain digitally. So if your tile breaks in 10 years, you can go to the blockchain and say, what tile company did we use? You know, so digital assets are here. We all know that. And I do believe that in the future of raw content, you know, we'll, we'll be having this discussion about putting quality content, you know, in the blockchain as an asset that will become a very interesting conversation. More on that later. Yeah, no, but the blockchain is interesting. I, I yeah. think that using blockchain as a ledger for, like you said, like historical data, etc. the NFT part's more complicated, but that's a topic for, like I said, an entire day conversation. <laughs> Last but not least, secret number 10 is tools for success and how they play important roles scaling companies. So the bad news is <laughs> there are at least a couple hundred content marketing tools that are available and out there and being used by content marketing professionals all over the world. Um, the good news is you can see a, a directory listing of those tools over on contentmarketingconference.com and you'll see a link to the Contech Gallery where you'll not only see a description of each of them, when you click on one, you'll see a description that will slide over on what this tool does, what its value proposition is, how it helps in some way make your life smarter, better, faster, and wiser. But you'll also see a video in many cases of an actual demo of the product so you can see what it does and how it how it will help you. So, and we cover all the five pillars over there of content creation, planning, optimization, distribution, and performance measurement. And for example, in the content creation area, you know, we cover all of the platforms, uh, Skyward, um, you know, uh, uh, Scripted, you know, Writer Access, Text Broker, Contently, you know, we're not biased with what we're presenting. This was pure research we did for the Content Marketing Conference. I mean, that's just in one of like 25 different categories and five pillars where you'll find a couple hundred tools. So the net of it is tools will save you a lot of time. You know, where would we be without SpyFu and SEMrush and, you know, BuzzSumo, you know, just to mention a few of the tools that are absolute critical tools that you should be using of those three, if not all three of them, but it's endless. But Tools will, are really fantastic. Um, there are other writing tools out there we're getting into that are really fascinating that will help writers get introduced and exposed to a thesaurus of words or metaphors or analogies that are really exciting and really cool. And these are tools that will help writers create better content faster. I'm a big believer in metaphors. I could have a whole uh, show. I did a video on metaphors once. It's pretty cool over on Writer Access. And I really believe metaphors are a one example of, of a way to you know, touch the heart, connect with the soul. A visual representation of something just says a thousand words. So these metaphors, it's amazing how many metaphors we say in the course of a day without even knowing it. But metaphors are a really cool way to like shoot for the moon, you know, you don't actually shoot for the moon, but it's a wonderful way of expressing something that's, you know, go for it, you know. So these are tools that are, you need to get familiar with. There are hundreds of them out there. So the, these 10 tips we talked about today will hopefully help a writer create better content or a, a marketer uh, scale uh, uh, content marketing faster, better, and wiser. Okay, awesome, awesome. Byron, thank you very much for those 10 What Are Music Secrets. Hacks slash tips slash advices. Yes. Uh, we have time for a few questions. Uh, what was the most memorable moment in your career? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> cr 
career. Wow. Well, you know, I mean, each startup I had was trying to solve a particular problem. And, you know, I was a curious kid from the get-go and was somebody that could find problems in, in a lot of things. But uh, I'll never forget one problem that I saw that this audience in particular would relate to. And that was the fact that the first company I started was called Freelance Access, and it was a graphic arts placement firm. At the time, graphic artists were represented by resumes, right? Like written words, right? That made absolutely no sense to me. Like, a designer should be able to show their work, you know, not a stack of words on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. At that time, back in 1992, there's a company called Tektronix that had created a dye sublimation printer that was able to print out 11 by 17 uh, printout of freelancers' work. So I started this company called Freelance Access, and we started a Mac lab. And we had no idea whether we were going to be successful, but it was an opportunity to disrupt the energy and the industry if it worked. And guess what? It like really worked. So for me, the most memorable moments of any businesses we've started have been, can we disrupt this industry, right? Can we really change something? And I think we've done that with almost every business. I've started five, sold three, not too bad of a batting average. Um, but each one of them, without question, was had a disruptive component to it. And certainly writer access, I believe, does as well, as well as you know, all the others. But anyway, so you multiple know. moments. <laughs> <laughs> so cool, cool. Okay. Thanks for the question. Okay. Yeah. So when we talk about scaling content, yep. you know that outsourcing it's one of the ways to do it. And we yep. can talk like in depth about it. But is there any other tip that you have that we haven't covered when we talk about scaling your content creation? Yeah. And I love that, um, you know, what's the difference between in-house versus outsourcing, right? So and also I think that one, yeah. that, that, that's a really cool point. And then the other point as well, which how do you make these work are the tips. But so with, with in-house content production, which by the way is how most companies are approaching, I think, content marketing, or at least thinking about it. Like, why would I hire these freelancers? Like, let's just do this in-house. We'll, we'll save all this money or we can produce better content and scale it and make it align with our brand and our tone. Look, no matter whether you're producing, in-house or with or outsourcing, you still have the same challenges, much like we were talking about earlier, like that communication is create is critical. You know, you've got to do the research to set up your three key, key pillars, your customer journey map, your buyer personas, your creative briefs. You've got to onboard your talent. You've got to, whether it be in-house or not, you've got to manage style flexing and changing. You got to figure out what your brand is. You know, I think there's actually one pivot person that's the centerpiece of in-house or outsource. And that's a content manager, right? And that content manager is not a copywriter. It's not a social media manager. It's not a community manager. It's one person that has a single focused job of making sure the content aligns with the goals, it's created to specification, delivers the performance. And so I think that what are the differences? They're, they're complex. I mean, working with freelancers is different than working with in-house people. You don't have to educate a new freelancer on a process. So there's different skills you need if you're a content manager. But I think the content manager is the pinnacle for both. And you need okay. both. So you need a content manager as a key player to make it work regardless. If you cannot right. scale content without a content manager, period, the end. And they okay. need an editor, edit, editing background. They need knowledge with optimization. They need really good research tools and techniques. I find that content managers in general are tool illiterate, 
Why? Because companies are not buying these tools, paying these subscriptions to give these tools to content creators and content managers. It's a shame, you know, so that's what CMC was trying to do by opening up that content gallery is to educate people on those tools. So that's my thought. Awesome. So let's get one last question. And how do you see the content marketing world evolving the next years? Oh, man. Thank you. That's awesome. Do we have a half an hour by chance? Mm. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, so, Summarized version. Yeah, right. <laughs> so content marketing is changing. Web 3.0 is coming at us. The content creators of the world are going to become the new sheriffs, okay? Finally, this revolution of content marketing is going to put the creators at the forefront of the revolution. So I see the creators, you know, being gold. You know, I think creativity is going to be pushing, pushed to new limits. I think that the technology is going to catch up with us. I think static websites without, you know, some interactivity to it are going to be dead. I think we're going to see a real merger of coding skills with creative skills, and those two forces are going to get together. I think our world is going to be more entertaining, more educational, more comical, more story-driven. And, you know, I think you could argue that Web 2.0 to Web 3.0 is not going to be crazy for the great people in Web 2.0 doing, Web 2 rather, doing great things. But Web 3 is a little different, you know, because no longer is Facebook and Google and LinkedIn and Twitter and TikTok going to make all the money and own everything, right? That's going to hopefully get torn down as we see decentralization, as we see blockchain and the creative parties rise. So it's a really cool time, everyone, to be yeah. <laughs> a creator, a content creator. So like look out, brace yourself, tune your skills up, push your creativity to the limit and you will be a winner in this next world. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Byron. Awesome. Uh, okay, folks, that's it. So, Byron, thanks for sharing your knowledge, your expertise. Any last words? It's been great being with Raw Content. You have a remarkable community that is like larger than anything I could have imagined in my life. It's great to be part of the family here and um, our team is excited. Uh, we want to bring content out to the world, which was our mission long ago. Uh, we're working diligently in the background to bring more ideas, bring more concepts, bring more advice to all of you through our blog and through Raw Content's efforts moving forward. So hats off to your team for producing great shows like this. And I look forward to helping anyone and everyone out uh, in the future. And one of these days, I'll get a Raw Content email address to show you how crazy and busy we've been, but probably going to be Byron at rawcontent.com. So maybe we'll set that up. Great. Thank you. So reach out to me, please, if you're listening to this, be one of the first people that reaches out on Byron at Raw Content, which will be live uh, tomorrow, right? Can we get that live? I hope so. So reach out to me. I'd love to answer any questions. I really love helping people. Thanks for having me, everyone. Awesome. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Rock Content's Jam Session podcast series. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to receive our latest episodes. We'll see you next week.